topic of this episode of the Stitch Safari podcast is one I never thought I'd be doing, only because I knew absolutely nothing of its long and fairly well-documented history. And it was spurred by an article in a recent Wish magazine's The French Issue about a striking new home for Chanel's Métiers d'Art de la Mode in Paris. The building itself is shown wrapped in concrete threads, how appropriate is that, and is a cloister for craft and creativity. It's a place where clothing is fabricated into art. But what actually took my attention were two very simple photographs. One showing silk accordion pleating with a centralised Chanel motive relief and another showcasing an archive of master pleaters paper moulds. And that was it. I was hooked. They were amazing. Pleated embroidery, or smocking as it's now called, has always held a sort of mystical allure. It's a technique that just appears so complicated and intricate, allowing drape and ease of movement for the wearer, but also able to produce a number of pattern combinations within the embroidery used. It's an ancient technique. When was embroidery first used to hold down those magical pleats? Well, it's hard to say. And it's also hard to define where the technique originated because sources are so varied. Suffice to say that the concept of making clothing more comfortable for the wearer, as well as accommodating size considerations, would have been a universal one. Just think back to those amazing ancients, the Egyptians, the Greeks, as well as those cheeky Romans. So, Stitch Safari listeners, let's meander down a road of deliciously repeated and formed pleats, featuring embroidery that brings a fabric to life, gives it flow and movement, as well as enriches its decorative elements. There really is no limit to what the technique of pleated embroidery can create. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. The technique of pleated embroidery was not only about comfort and ease of movement. It was also used as an important decorative feature on cuffs, necklines, bodices and shirts. And at a time when most garments were made from heavy linen, jute, cloth or even heavy cotton, this clothing needed to be attractive as well as practical. Now, it's absolutely no surprise to me that the textile technique of pleating, 
that is, the folding of fabric back and forth in a uniform manner, creating patterns of parallel ridges and valleys, dates back to the ancient Egyptians and various other cultures throughout history. How many times have I seen images of Egyptian, Roman and Greek men and women with those gently cascading pleated lines and taken absolutely no notice? Well, I do now. What pleats did was to create flowing lines and an elegant silhouette in both men's, women's and children's clothing. They added volume and structure to very important considerations when trying to cover the human body. The pleated skirt was the main characteristic of the Korean Goryeo, I'm sure I've not pronounced that correctly, I apologise, a dynasty that used traditional clothing dating from the uh, 918 to 1392 CE. This garment symbolised the wearer's wealth and status because it required a vast amount of precious fabric and the pleating process itself was time-consuming. And this theme of showing wealth through the amount of fabric used has been repeated throughout history. Zigzag patterns were created and stitched in place, but a variety of patterns were combined with other decorative techniques such as embroidery, applique and painting. And there are numerous other pleating styles that includes accordion, box, cartridge, fluted, fortuny, honeycomb, kick, king gussie, knife, organ, plissé, rolled and watu, along with many newer styles. Pleating was an art that showcased these various styles. Honeycomb smocking can be seen in a painting from the early 1400s from the Netherlands. It was used to control the fabric and provide extra fullness over the Virgin Mary's hips. And let's not forget those amazingly elaborate pleated ruffs and collars worn by the aristocracy during the Middle Ages that also served to symbolise high status. It's no surprise that the term smocking comes from the English garment, the smock, worn by both, by both men and women, traced back to the Anglo-Saxon tuning, tunic mentioned in the Luttrell Psalter circa 1340, showing a man working at his plough wearing a tunic smock. Not to be forgotten is that highly creative and genuinely funny poet Chaucer who in the Miller's Tale from 1386 describes a woman wearing a smock and even Shakespeare who referenced the smock in a number of his plays. Smocks in the 1800s referenced a woman's undergarment but by the end of the 1700s men were wearing a new form of decorated garment known as the smock frock or smock. Now what is perhaps rather interesting about this decorative technique is that this was an embroidery technique that was often worn by labourers. Mostly, embroidery was a purely decorative element representing wealth and status, but smocking in this instance was both decorative and functional.
This became standard dress for men and boys in rural southern England and parts of Wales and was worn as an outer garment cut very full using smocking to control that fullness. Small cottage industries supplied these garments and the technique of embroidering onto the pleats was referred to as biasing, gauging, plaiting and by 1880 smocking. They had to be made of tough material, usually a waxed linen, and the embroidery patterns worked around the shoulders, wrists and back used the strongest glazed thread or cotton that they could find. And over time, each village community defined itself using a colour code and embroidered symbols. Derby was apparently famous for its blue smocks, while Herefordshire preferred green. Often the patterns on each garment would indicate the work of the wearer, so a carter might utilise wheel shapes in the pattern, while a shepherd might use crooks. And as the smock was losing favour as an outer garment for men, the rejection of the corset by women allowed for a looser, more flowing style of dress and began to utilise smocking to help control the full fullness of these new garments. Liberty offered several smocked designs in its 1894 fashion catalogue for dressmaking services and in 1887 Weldon's published the first four books on practical smocking. These useful designs were used to ornament ladies and children's summer costumes, lawn, tennis dresses and Holland blouses. Liberty followed with a catalogue titled Artistic Dress for Children and the Butterick Pattern Company mentioned smocking in a booklet published in 1902. By 1916, uh, styles changed, prompted partially by World War I, and in 1916, the Liberty catalogue shows smocking used on working garments and children's clothing. And by 1924, Mrs. J.D. Rolleston notes in the Embroiderers magazine that smocking is almost exclusively applied to garments worn by artists, children, agricultural labourers and shepherds, leaving a legacy that formed the basis and inspiration for modern smocking. Smocking was popular during the 1920s and 30s, with Liberty again leading the way, and by the 40s and 50s, factories making children's clothing actually outsourced the smocking that was still being worked by hand. By 1956, the Reed Smock Gathering Machine was introduced, able to gather 16 rows at once, and if you didn't own a pleater or one of these machines, then iron-on patterns using smocking dots were available. The Smocking Arts Guild of America was formed in 1979 to help preserve and foster the art of smocking and the National Federation of Women's Institutes in England even taught smocking. The popularity of pleated fabrics continued well into the 20th century, but don't think this technique quietly faded away because it didn't. And it's that endurance that speaks of its popularity. 
Japanese-born fashion designer Izzy Miyake became known for his use of pleating in his flowing, flexible designs. Wikipedia states that his garments were cut and sewn first, then sandwiched between layers of paper and fed into a heat press where they were pleated. Memory holds the fabric pleats, which were then liberated from their paper cocoon. Et voila, the garment is ready to wear, creating forms that are both sculptural and functional. They have a futuristic architectural feel and very on point for the 21st century. Yet smocking has also been taken up by many textile and fibre artists, uh, used in the most creative ways imaginable. English textile and fibre artist Jill Flower created a series titled Circle of Life that expresses edges and finishes, but what it also shows is a very innovative use of pleating. Another English textile artist, Anna Stone, uses techniques and materials that stretch the boundaries of both textiles and fashion. And what really excites Anna is fungi or mushrooms, how their lines pleat and how they create organic labyrinths with rich pops of colour. Her silk garments include pleats and smocking, voluminous ruffles and edges, handmade beads and hand embroidery. Now Annie Coogan trained as an architect, so sees potential for volume, structure and depth on a flat surface, so she calls her work modernist smocking. By applying modernist design practices to smocking, things such as exploration, manipulation of scale, material, colour and space to see how they impact on a final composition. Annie's smocking has become sculptural and she achieves this by first measuring and drawing gridded patterns onto the cloth to create her blueprint for folding. But it's the new spaces she creates after stitching, those caverns and canyons that emerge to form another textile terrain that she uses as her canvas to embroider onto. You have to check out her work, Smocking Chair. It's truly amazing. Smocking requires the use of a lightweight yet stable fabric that has the ability to gather well. Cotton, silk, lawn or voile are typical choices and the actual embroidery is worked using a cruel embroidery needle in cotton or silk thread. Fabrics may be gathered into pleats in a number of ways using guides made from cardboard, pleating machines or iron-on dots transferred onto the wrong side of the fabric that are then gathered into pleats using temporary running stitches. Cabling stitches then secure and anchor the top and bottom of the work. Smocking generally reduces the dimensions of a garment to one third its original size and can create many beautiful and sophisticated patterns. Checked or spotted fabrics may be used in a technique called counterchange where the embroidered pleating is done by forming the pleats as you embroider using the pattern printed on the fabric as the guide. Picture smocking is where an image is formed using basic cable stitches and a variety of coloured threads. 
Embroidery stitches often used to create these intricate patterns include cable stitch, stem stitch, outline stitch, cable flowerette, wave stitch, honeycomb stitch, surface honeycomb stitch, chevron stitch, feather stitch, trellis stitch, van dyke stitch, bullion stitch and something called a smocker's knot. So pleating fabrics and smocking is still very relevant and important in our ever-changing modern world of today. It remains timeless and versatile, adding unique texture, structure and movement to clothing, domestic textiles, as well as being able to be used in the creation of innovative textile and fibre art, all the while keeping the technique fresh and exciting. Pleats in garments are flattering, able to slip curves and transform the regular into something striking, opulent and completely different, creating a symbol of elegance with a hint of the nostalgia of yesteryear and of childhood memories. But pleating and smocking in textile and fibre art is something else yet again, enabling the maker to sculpt, explore and innovate in ways I would never have thought possible. And I love that. It shows the enduring appeal and relevancy of pleating and smocking in our modern day world, evidenced by its continued popularity. So, if you're at all like me, take another look at pleating and smocking. Look at the work of the current and past fashion designers such as Izzy Miyake, textile and fibre artists such as Jill Flower, Anna Stone and Annie Coogan to see their contemporization of the traditional technique of pleating and smocking. Frankly, I think it's amazing and hugely inspirational. And we all need some of that, don't we? As always, thank you so much for your time. I love having you here and it's truly appreciated. Tell your friends to tune in and subscribe and let's make 2023 the best year ever. Stitch Safari's now reached over 16.7 thousand downloads and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Welp magazine, listed as one of the top shows about embroidery by Repod in 2022, recorded in the top five textile industry podcasts you must follow in 2023 by Feedspot and listed globally in the top 10% by Listen Notes. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast because there's just so much more to discover and it really is also fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next exciting episode of Stitch Safari and our next inspiring adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now.